Welcome to Hacks for Life with Galen Jones of James Group Ministries, a Christ-centered conversation that will encourage and inspire you to live a better life. Now let's join Galen Jones of James Group Ministries. Welcome to Hacks for Life. I'm Galen Jones, your host, and I'm here with um, Scott Rahi, and we're going to we're talking about how the uh, archaeology supports the Bible, and we're going to talk about um, a, a pap, uh, papyrus. Uh, I forgot the name of it. So, Scott, it's um, a secret. Yeah, just get, get get us going here. Let's see where we go. Yeah, we stopped last time. Uh, I knew this was going to take longer than just a couple of minutes, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to shortchange it. So, we've been talking about um, really at a very high level. You know, just very quick sort of skipping a rock over the top of the lake some of the evidence that we have that has been uncovered that supports the the stories in the book of exodus um which includes the exodus so this one is um it's called the ipaware papyrus i-p-u-w-e-r and i looked it up and it just says that ipaware was an ancient egyptian sage and he's only known because of this papyrus that we found. I guess we'd know who he was apart if from If he hadn't that. had the papyrus. Okay. That's why they call it the Ipaware papyrus, is he wrote the thing. And he's apparently he presented this to the pharaoh and the, you know, the, the leadership, I guess, in Egypt. The thing about this that's interesting is apparently this is somewhere, um, somewhere around... 1500-1450 BC something like that and with the new dating I talked about the fact that the new archaeological evidence has begun to sort of shift the idea of dating and the new dating for the exodus would be roughly around the time that this papyrus was coming out mm-hmm. roughly you know could be very close um, you know that's interesting because you know when they talk about dating and and you're talking in a previous conversation you know that uh, how the um, the date for the Jericho story, the Jericho narrative, and where they were looking for it, you know, was you know, hundred to hundred and fifty years difference. Um, I at some point maybe you want to talk about how. How do they know that? Yeah, how do you? Yeah. Um, I know that there there is controversy around mm-hmm. carbon dating and you know all yep. that you know that whole system and if. If our um, it, it'd be interesting to know, and I and I'm, I'm I don't know the the error of margin because there has to be a margin of error. Yeah, there is. There is. Um, I've heard it said that trying to see into the the, ta- the the past, seeing the past, is not really this grand landscape that we see, but it's like looking at a black cloth and you've got a pinhole and you poke pinholes in it and you try and see through those little pinholes to see what's back there. But there's not that many pinholes. There's only the places that the evidence that we've got is mm-hmm. very scarce. Yeah, and you're right. There is a great deal of, uh, I you know I, I don't know that Egyptologists would say there's a great deal of, of dating uncertainty. But part of the reason I think they say that is their entire careers are built around the are around these premises that they established, yeah, yeah. and they were taught that, and they just ran with it. Yeah. Just um, like in in most fields, I mean, just like yeah, yeah, you we, you just we don't have, challenge we your have some yeah, we have some assumptions, and you know those are assumptions that that are carried on for uh, years, decades, uh, and we just buy into them, and then all right. of a sudden something happens, we go oh yeah, well maybe that was off a little bit. I heard anyway. a story. I heard a story one time. You get off on stories. I'm going to get off on one of a of a woman who got married, and 
she was cro- she was cooking a roast for her husband, and she watched the husband was watching her do it, and she'd buy the roast, she'd cut off the ends of it, and then she'd put it in the the tray to cook it or whatever it was, the pot, and then he would serve it. And over the course of about a year, he just watched her do this repeatedly, and he said, "Why do you cut the ends of it off?" She goes, "That's how it's supposed to be done." And he says, I, I never heard of that. She said, well, that's how my mother always did it. And she got curious, and so she called her mom. And her mom said, well, I did that because the pan that we had was so small it wouldn't fit in there. So I had to cut the end of it off in order to get it in. Yep. Well, she just thought that's the way it was, didn't question it, and kind of moved yep. on. Yep. That's how these things sometimes develop. Yep. It's always good to question, and and it's harder. It takes more work. You know, it's it's, it's easy just to assume and just move on. Yep. But in this case, it's very can be very fruitful, can be very beneficial. Yep. So um, archaeologists have uncovered this thing called the Ipaware papyrus. Now, um, I think that I think that it's called the Admonitions of Ipaware. It's a papyrus, and the writing on it is called the Admonitions of Ipaware. Um, what you're going to see here is that the Ipaware papyrus seems to be talking about the plagues that occurred before the Exodus. And it's really an interesting comparison whenever you think about it. So let me read um, this. It's, it's, there's an article um, called, it's from earlychurchhistory.org, and the article is called The Ipaware Papyrus, Were the Ten Biblical Plagues Real? Okay, and I'll just start, there's a little bit, there's some comparisons we want to read back and forth. Okay. So the, the article starts with, this writer has no idea when the admonitions of Ipaware, as it is called, was written, but it is worthy of remarking that this ancient Ipaware papyrus contains many of the plagues on Egypt, which led to the exodus described in the Bible. I'm going to be reading a section from that from the papyrus, and then I'm going to compare it to what we find in the Bible, and let's just see if there's any similarities between these, Okay. So and they they have a they have a, a sort of a chapter and verse system for the Ipaware papyrus just like so I'll, I'll say Ipaware two five through six which okay. is similar to how the Bible yeah. is, is. Yeah. so here's Ipaware two five through six plague is throughout the land blood is everywhere two verse ten the river is blood men shrink from tasting human beings and thirst after water um, that is our water. That is our happiness. What shall we do in respect thereof? All is ruin. Let's compare that to uh, Exodus. Exodus 7.20. All the waters of the river were turned to blood. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, and the river stank, going to 24. And all the Egyptians dug around the river for water to drink, for they could not drink of the, river, of the water of the river. Let's go back to Ipaware. Plague is throughout the land. Blood is everywhere. The river is blood. Hmm. Men shrink from tasting, human beings, and thirst after water. That is our water. That is our happiness. What shall we do in respect thereof? All is ruin. Certainly sounds like an external witness describing something here. But that's not all we have. Let's go on. Um, In Exodus... 9 verses 23 and 24 going when you're starting there it says this is one of the other plagues and the fire ran along the ground there was hail and fire mingled with the hail very grievous Um, verse 25 and the hail smote every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field then jump into 31 and the flax and the barley were smitten for the barley was in season and flax was ripe but the wheat and rye were not smitten for they were not grown up 
and then jumping to 10.15, there remained no green things in the trees or in the herbs of the field through all the land of Egypt. Now, does Ippaware reference this? Ippaware 2, verse 10. Forsooth, gates, columns, and walls are consumed by fire. Lower Egypt weeps. I'm sorry, it jumps to 10, three, uh, verse 3 through 6. Lower Egypt weeps. The entire palace is without revenues. To it belong by right wheat and barley, geese and fish. Uh, 6, verse 3. Forsooth, grain has perished on every side. And then 5, 12. Forsooth, that has perished which was yesterday seen. The land is left over to its weariness like the cutting of flax. Sounds like this is fire. It talks about the fire. The, the gates are, and the walls are consumed by fire. All of the wheat's gone. All of the barley's gone. It was here yesterday. It's not here today. That feels similar. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was a, getting right, as you were reading that, I was kind of running that parallel in my mind with, yeah. um, you know, the, the Exodus na- yep. narrative. And So let's go to the third one. This is Exodus 9.3. Um, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle which is in the field, and there shall be a very grievous sickness. 9.19, gather thy cattle and all that thou hast in the field. 9.21, this is Exodus 9.21, and he that did not fear the word of the Lord left his servants and cattle in the field. Now here's Ippaware, 5.5, all animals, their hearts weep, cattle moan. And then 9.2-3, behold, cattle are left to stray, and there is none to gather them together. The cattle were distressed, Mm -hmm. just like it said in Exodus 9. Jumping to Exodus 10, uh, verses 22 to 23. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another. Neither rose any from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Ippoware 9.11. Does it it reference this? Ippoware 9.11. The land is without light. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not long, but it says the land is without light. Yeah. Then we go to then we go to the next one, Exodus twelve twenty nine and thirty, and it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all of the firstborn of the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, that sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive that was in the prison. There was not a house where there was not one dead. There was a great cry in Egypt. And then going back to Ippaware. They they say it's four three and he's got five six in parentheses. I don't know what that means, but we'll start there. Forsooth, the children of princes are dashed against the walls. Then six ten. Then start going to six twelve. Forsooth, the children of princes are cast out into the streets. Six three. The prison is ruined. Two thirteen. He who places in his brother in the ground is everywhere. 3.14, it is groaning throughout the land, mixed with lamentations. Seems like a lot of people oh, yeah. died all at once right there. Yeah. There are people that say the Ipware Papyrus cannot be a reflection of the events described in the book of Exodus. I mean, uh, yeah, the Ipware Papyrus cannot describe what's happening in Exodus. It, they, they can't be the same. And here's why. In Ipware th- uh, 3.2, this is what it says. Gold and lapis lazuli, silver and malachite, carnelian and bronze are fastened on the neck of female slaves. And they say, that would never happen. The Egyptians would never do something like that. So this has to be made up. This has to be fanciful. Mm-hmm. 
Let me read and let me just wrap this section up by reading Exodus 12, verses 35 to 36. And they requested from the Egyptians silver and gold articles and clothing, and God made the Egyptians favor them, and they granted their request. The Israelites thus drained Egypt of its wealth. Yep. I mean, it's spooky when you look at how close this thing is, yeah. and you're like, people are like, nah, there's no evidence for this, except this evidence, and this evidence, and this line of evidence, and this third line of evidence. It's it's and the thing that makes me kind of sad is um, there's so much to discuss and there's so much that even I haven't seen that I know I'm going to go watch something or read something and get real excited and go, boy, I wish I'd have put that in here in here. All I can do is encourage people to do the same thing. Right. Um, you watch. You told me you watched the movie uh, Patterns of Evidence. It's, mm-hmm. it's now, I think, five movies in order. He's got the, the very first one, which is about did, did the exodus occur? You know, and the next one was. The Moses controversy, could Moses have been able to write the uh, the first five books, the Pentateuch? And um, the th- the next one is two parts, and it's the, the crossing of the Red Sea. And then I think he's got one that's about to come out about Sinai, about them going to Sinai and what's what the what – the, all of this is archaeological evidence that he's uncovered. And it's just – so what did you think of that movie when you saw it? Oh, I thought it was very good. Um, in, in fact, we, you know, when we talked about that in, a, in the previous conversation, I, I – that evening, I went and talked to my wife, and so we sat down and watched it. And it was you kind of go, "Wow!" It's surprising it just, how interesting that is. Yeah, yeah, it just it just lines up. You could, you to me, and just like what you're reading with this uh, papyrus here, that you could take that and it could be something like a biblical narrative. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, it it, it just uh, dovetails very well. Um, <clears throat> but uh, you know, it's interesting that. Um, that's the first time that I had heard about it, and I, I, don't, I haven't done near the uh, study on Christian evidences that, that you have. But, um, you, you know, it, it, what it reminds me of is way back in some several other conversations that we had in the very beginning where, you know, you, you almost have to just not want. You have to try not you, to. You have to try to go, no, yeah. that's – and there are people, you know, in – um, that uh, you know, basic you know, in real simple form. There's two two kinds of people: those that that see things same as. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm the kind of person that looks for the bridge. Right. You, you know, I'm I'm going. Oh, that's just like, and I do that so that I can remember it and have something to relate to. Right. And so I just you know I put a pin there. Okay, that's like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there are others. Um and and you know in in our family that if if you when you begin to talk about pretty much anything they'll go uh, they'll talk about the difference right you know right. they they won't focus on what's and I'll come back and I'll go yeah but it's just like well yes but yeah um so as we're you know kind of talking about that those were some of the things that were going through my mind uh, so I guess you know it can be easier for those individuals like myself that tend to um, when I hear something or see something, I automatically try to associate it with something else that I already know. Right, right. You bet. It makes total sense. So, um, anyway, and and I, as you're reading through those, and we're, we're looking at this evidence, I'm going, gosh. I mean, goes back to again another conversation that we had earlier. Uh, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I don't either. <laughs> I, the, and the thing that's funny is I I thought. It was closer to a you know fifty fifty kind of thing. I believe that that God exists, but you know the more I see it, 
70-30 on our side, 80-20. It's, it's to the point that I think you have to deliberately be trying not to believe and not want to believe in order to do that. Yeah. And the thing that's so sad is in our culture today, there are people that, that go to church and they lose their faith because people aren't prepared to help them with these things. And the atheists will come out and say, hey, you know, we, we don't believe and there's good reason. Well, they don't give good reasons. They usually don't give any reasons. But there's nobody on our side to say, that you might want to think about that. Here's something to look at, and I, I hope that's that 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 occurs less and less. Yeah. I really, really do. Yeah, I, it was interesting. I had um, I, I was listening to uh, I, I don't re- remember what show it was, but there was an unbeliever, mm-hmm. um, and the the commentary was on you know all of the um, crime that's going on mm-hmm. uh, in in certain states and. Uh, they were just, you know, talking about, um, you, you know, how how destructive this is, and you know how people treat one another, and it was interesting because them being an unbeliever, which they state that they don't, they do not believe. And, right. And part of their one in in this particular conversation, they said, "I do not believe in God. I I kind of want to, yeah. but but I I don't." Yeah. And. They, in that same uh, uh, context, they said uh, something like, um, you know, but if we could just go back and live according to Leviticus, <laughs> yeah. we would be much better yeah. Uh, yeah. As, as a society if we could just follow some of those rules there. Yeah. And um, anyway, and, and they were just making a point that they weren't. Uh, um, they weren't a believer, but you know some of this stuff really makes sense. Yeah, um, I think I've mentioned this in the past. If not, I'll probably mention it again. But there's a news article. I think it's from uh, the Times Online. It's a U, one of the UK newspapers. I think it's, that that's the one. I could be wrong. But there's a guy named Matthew Paris who wrote an article called "As an Atheist, I Firmly Believe Africa Needs God." And in the article, he describes, he says, I'm not talking about clean water and modern cities and things like that. He says, I'm talking about the moral content of being a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. And he says he's an atheist because they need this. They need the moral content of being. So they want the effect. Yeah. But they don't want the nature that comes with it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So before we run out of time, there's one more that I think is a really cool um, sort of archaeological find that I thought we would go through. And this is, um, there was, for many, many years, there were people that would say, look, the account of Jesus and him and his trial and his crucifixion has a flaw. And that is the fact that this person called Pontius Pilate probably never existed historically, but certainly was not yeah. the governor of Judea. And he wasn't mm-hmm. in Jerusalem whenever Jesus is supposed to have, have been killed. Mm-hmm. Well, they found something in this article I'm going to read from. It's called Aletia, I think is what it's called. It's A-L-E-T-E-I-A dot org. And the, it's called Archaeological Evidence of Pontius Pilate Corroborates the Gospel. So let me just read this really quick, and this will be the last thing we talk about today. Um, the article says, Almost everyone is familiar with Pontius Pilate and his role in the Passion of Christ. However, very little of the man is known besides his arbitration of the trial of the Nazarene. It is known that he was the Roman prefect who ruled over Judea during the reign of Emperor Tiberius, roughly uh, A.D. 14 to 37. But aside from his presence in the Gospels, a few brief references from Roman historians and a smattering of coins purportedly minted by the prefect, there is little evidence that Pilate existed at all. That was until the 1961 discovery of the Pilate Stone. 
a piece of carved limestone inscribed with the name of Pontius Pilate. Italian archaeologist Dr. Antonio Frova and his team came across the Pilate stone while excavating an ancient Roman theater in Caesarea, Israel, which was built by the decree of Herod, of King Herod around 10 BC. Um, UCatholic.com explains that Pilate had his base of operations in Caesarea, which replaced Jerusalem as the administrative capital of Judea in 6 AD. Although weathered by time, fragments of the inscription on the limestone are still legible. From what archaeologists can read, it appears to be a dedication stone. It says, to the divine Augustus, Augusti Tiberium Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea. And it says, has dedicated this and the rest mm-hmm. of it's gone. The discovery corroborates Pilate's position as prefect of Judea, as well as the era in which he held office. You Catholic, it's, this is a website, youcatholic.com, that they're referencing. You Catholic notes that there are several other secular sources that mention the prefect, such as the writings of by Flavius in Antiquities of the Jews, that's Flavius Josephus, circa 95, uh, Philo of Alexandria on the embassy of Gaius, and by Publius Cornelius Tacitus, one of the most well-known Roman historians. However, these works were all written many decades after Pilate was removed from his position as prefect of Judea. The Pilate stone remains the only first-hand evidence of, of Pilate, which quite, quite literally has set his historical re- uh, relevance in stone. Now, I know before this occurred, this was before I was born, but there were people that would say, Pilate was never in Judea at the mm-hmm. time that Jesus... So this is made up. Another, another one of those, the Hittites never existed. Right. There was no first century Nazareth. There was no Pilate in there. And yet, here we go. God, it's almost like God's like, just stop it. Okay? <laughs> and so there's so much more about archaeology to discuss, but I want to sum it up by a verse uh, from Luke 19. And here's what it says. It starts in verse 37. Um, As he was drawing near, already on the way to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I think with all the stuff we're finding in archaeology, the stones are crying out. out. I don't don't have any real doubt about that. And I, I find this is just another, you know, it's a, it's a gem, and we're turning and we're looking at different facets. And this is just another facet that says everywhere you look, every angle you look at this thing, um, the Bible's true. It's just there's there's nothing that competes with it. There's nothing that says, well, it's not true. There's You know, maybe there's evidence that we haven't corroborated with archaeology, but where we have, it's been supportive. Yeah. And I just find that, you know, to me it's just – just incredibly powerful. Yeah. And so we've I've, talked about that argument of silence. Argument of silence is a bad argument. Yeah, yeah. It's considered to be a logical fallacy. Yeah, yeah. So um, so I think what we'll do here, we could probably talk about archaeology for, for a long, long time. But you know, hopefully I've whetted everybody's appetite a little bit. I would say watch patterns of evidence if you don't want to read a bunch of, of you know dusty books on you know academic sh- bookshelves and stuff, because it's a really interesting movie. And um but if you want to read the books, you know, Randall Price is a good place to start, and there's other ones that are out there, too. Why don't we move on from here, and let's talk about, you know, we, we, we said that if the Bible is God's Word, it contains some of the hallmarks that would indicate that it's a supernatural book. I think the Bible has prophecies about future events, which were written, which were, we have proof were written before those events. 
why don't we spend some time in the next uh, the next conversation discussing that and seeing if we can find some prophecy that would corroborate a future event, which could only happen if the Bible was supernatural. Yeah. Okay, that sounds good. And uh, if any of our listeners have any questions, they can always contact me at um, galen at jamesgroupministries.net. And it's G-A-L-O-N. Yes, G-A-L-O-N. Yep. So. All right. Until next time. Be there. You've been listening to Hacks for Life with Galen Jones of James Group Ministries. The James Group is a nonprofit, Christ centered organization that seeks to serve the community by offering skilled caring support for anyone in need. For help, call 972 243 4673. That's 972 243 4673. For questions and comments, email Galen at jamesgroupministries.net. That's G A L O N at jamesgroupministries.net. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another Hacks for Life with Galen Jones.